Against All Odds, it's another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I'm Fangraphs contributor Carson Sestouli, and on this special edition of the pod, we offer you a special topic and a special guest. The topic, PitchFX. The guest, Mike Fast, PitchFX guru and contributor to Hardball Times. Mr. Fast joins our own master of PitchFX, Dave Allen, and fellow Royals fan and sufferer, Matt Clausen. In this episode, we use Mr. Fast and Mr. Allen's expertise to look at the origins of PitchFX and to learn the state of PitchFX today and its future as well. Additionally, we take a look at some special cases, pitchers whose success is generally explicable by PitchFX data. Also, I invite the listeners to become particularly attentive around the 20-minute mark when a special guest appearance is made by Matt Clausen's very squeaky chair. This is the sort of white-hot analysis you'll find at Fangraphs Audio right now. Yes, indeed it is another episode of Fangraphs Audio. Sitting around this incredibly round table with me are a couple gentlemen who you'll know from previous podcasts and one special guest. Uh, the first gentleman I'll introduce is, uh, is Dave Allen. Is he an ecologist? Is he a mathematician? I don't know, but he is Dave Allen. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, Carson? I'm doing as good as could be. Uh, cloudy up here in the Pacific Northwest, but, um, you know, I'm letting a player play, and by that player I mean me, uh, if that sounds all right. We'll also, uh, we'll also turn to another gentleman. Um, he doesn't even know how good he is. His name is Matt Clausen. How are you doing, sir? Booyah! <laughs> Fair enough. That was the most obnoxious thing I could think to say. Good. The uh, the, the listener should know that, that just before... Uh, we hit record here. Matt Clausen was complaining about not having his own intro music. Clausen, what would your intro music be if you could choose? Um. Uh huh. That's well, what I see, thought. Carson, you, yeah. You crushed by crushed by dreams. Let, let me think. Uh, I was going to say something cool. I would probably say uh, Judas Priest's uh, "The Hellion." Okay, fair enough. And listen, let's introduce a, our, our a special guest appearance here. You might uh, know his work from Hardball Times. You might know his work. Uh, just from around the interweb, you might have visited his website before. It's called Fastballs, which I think uh, most most men between the ages of 16 and 34 would like because it could potentially be construed as a reference to the male anatomy. His name is Mike Fast. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good, Carson. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. You are a PitchFX guru. Is that is that accurate? Uh, I try to sit on top of my PitchFX mountain and stroke my long white beard, so <laughs> sure. Good. All right. It's nice to know at least one of us has a long white beard on this podcast. We uh, we've gathered today. Well, for for a couple reasons, this is going to be a sort of Fangraphs Audio meets PitchFX podcast, I believe. I'll tell you how it started briefly. I sent a I sent an email to Matt Clausen and said, Matt Clausen, I like this post you did over at Fangraphs about C.J. Wilson as a starter. I'm wondering if you might uh, be interested in talking about that on the pod. Matt Clausen said, Well. You know that might require some pitch FX information. Why don't we get Matt, Matt uh, sorry, why don't we get Mike Fast in on this? Why don't we get Dave Allen on this? And start talking some pitch FX. Well, I said, heck, let's blow this up, and <laughs> let's blow this up and uh, and start looking at pitch FX in general. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, and I think the best place to start is the beginning, or at least close to the beginning. And I think Mike Fast, you're going to help us do that. Um, in terms of pitch FX. Let's go back to, you know, yeah, close to the beginning. A very good place to start. A very good place to start. It's good we're making only the most virile references here on the pod. Uh, Mike, 
people have probably heard of it. It might be intimidating for some people. Take us back to the dreamy beginnings of, of PitchFX, <laughs> or at least where you entered it. So, uh, like I like I mentioned, I started in 2007, or at least I think I mentioned that. Maybe I'm imagining it. Um, I, I started getting in, into it in 2007 when I found the data on the web, and a few guys uh, like Dan Fox at Baseball Prospectus and and Joe Sheehan over at Baseball Analysts uh, were writing about it, and it sounded cool. So it it uh, came about from I think a bunch of guys in in big smoky back rooms somewhere with ESPN and MLB and a little company called Sport Vision got together and said, wouldn't it be cool if we could track pitches and we could present all this neat information on um, on game day and on our TV broadcasts and so forth about what the pitches are doing? Um, Sport Vision is a company that. Uh, is responsible for the the yellow first down first and ten line on football broadcasts. They superimpose it over the video, and uh, they're also it, they weren't around, but it, it was that same group of engineers that uh, did the the glowing hockey puck on Fox Track on Fox hockey broadcasts. So they they so you win some you lose some. Is that the moral of that yeah. very short story? <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Do they also do the lines for Madden football? <laughs> okay. I, well, one thing they also do is they, I think they put the heads of NASCAR drivers above their cars as they race, race around the That's track. That's probably true. NASCAR is their big cash cow um, because, as we know, it's the most popular sport in America. At least I think it is in terms of money. Um, so the, and, so they, uh, they somehow devised a way of being able to figure out what a pitch is doing some you know from when it leaves the pitcher's hand to when it gets to the glove. Yeah, they put up uh, they put a couple cameras up in the stands behind home plate and one over the first base dugout in the stands and focus them on the area where the the pitch is, between the pitcher's mound and home plate where the pitch is going to fly. And uh, they run these high speed cameras and and take oh about twenty or so pictures of the ball between the pitch when it leaves the pitcher's hand and when it reaches the catcher's glove. And from that, they can reconstruct the trajectory and say it went, you know, 93 miles an hour, and it it moved, you know, 12 inches this way, 12 inches to the left, and five inches down, or you know, they can tell you everything, all sorts of details about the trajectory of the pitch based on those images they take from the high speed cameras. All right. Well, let let me ask you two follow up questions, and then we'll get to Dave Allen on on what's happening today in pitch FX. First question is how do they how are they able to tell exactly what sort of pitch it is, right? The, so you know, uh, I, I know there's neural the word, nets. There's, yes, there's the word. The words neural nets will come out of someone's mouth. I was predicting. Uh, maybe you could tell us just how they go about classifying that. And then secondly, if you might, if you might tell us how things have advanced from 2007, um, like in terms of how many ballparks it's available in, and maybe how fine the technology has gotten. So during 2007. They started out the year with the this camera system installed in about eight or nine ballparks at, at the beginning of the year in April 2007. And then throughout the year, they continued installing in more and more parks until by the beginning of 2008, they were in all 30 major league stadiums. So from 2007, they tracked about a third of the pitches that were thrown that year. And in 2008, 2009, they're tracking over 95% of the pitches that are thrown in the major leagues. Okay, and, and then have they sort of uh, refined the data in terms of how they go about classifying a pitch? Uh, I mean, in, 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 as far as that goes, too, do they get the input of, 
major leaguers uh, or some sort of, you know, um, I guess, what would you call this? A consultant who says, uh, well, yeah, that's what a cut fastball does, or yeah, that's what a curveball does. So there's there's two entities involved in gathering this data. One is Sport Vision, which is the engineering company and the video. Their expertise is in video broadcast, like the first down and ten line that they put on. They they know how to intersplice inter- that into the video. So they they know about video and the cameras that track the baseball. They so they get that information and then provide it to MLB who puts it into game day or they provide it to say ESPN or Fox or somebody like that who puts it into their TV broadcast. So there's the the raw data that comes from them and then MLB actually publishes it on their game day site and and nerds like us like to download that data and analyze it but they also use it in their game day application and one of the things that MLB does there is give you a pitch type and say say this is a changeup or this is a fastball or a slider or whatever and um, there's a gentleman named Ross Paul at uh, MLB who developed an algorithm to do that classification. And uh, there's some of the, the rest of us out in the analytical community aren't terribly fond of the accuracy of that system. Uh, there's there's certainly there's methods that we've developed that are that are more accurate. We tend to do stuff after the game and look at the data and say, oh, the, these pitches were sliders and these pitches were changeups, whereas uh, MLB is wanting to do it real time and tell you every exactly you know within seconds after the pitch happened they want to be able to put up on game day what kind of pitch it was, so uh, that has led some to their to their choice of using a neural net algorithm to classify their pitches. Okay, now Dave Allen, can you maybe uh, help us out with where PitchFX is today, and then maybe where it's going? In particular, I know that the uh, there have been a couple of PitchFX conferences. Um, I don't know what goes on these besides, I assume, uh, you know, cavorting and drinking. That's all I can imagine. Uh, so what what exactly is going on uh, in terms of pitch effects today, and, and what is the future of it? Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with the conferences. There, there's been two of them. I was at the one last uh, January, not at the first one. Maybe Mike can fill us in on that. But uh, it's folks from uh, Major League Baseball like Ross Paul and some other engineers there, and then folks from Sport Vision who uh, hold the conference, and then people from the blogging, the sort of like sabermetric analytical blogging community, and then most teams also send representatives. Um, So, and then uh, there's uh, presentations on the technology. I know there's big presentations on the the pitch classification and discussions about how that happens and input from the blogging community about what we'd like um, or suggestions about how uh, if, if there's any issues and and then some discussion about the future of both pit, of pitch FX um, and the expansion into sort of this idea of hit FX and then field FX, which is sort of where the direction uh, it's going. Okay, and so so we're looking to track everything. Um Exactly. So the hit FX it, well does currently track the the, the hit ball off of the bat, um, and they Sport Vision is tracking that from the same series of images. So uh, those images that Mike's talked about, if those have picked up the well, they will have picked up the ball um, as it leaves the bat, and then you can do the same procedure where you fit the equations of motion to the to the, the ball coming off of the bat and then get information about the trajectory of the ball. Since the images are just for the... I mean, those cameras are just focused on the pitcher, catcher, 
area, they're not, they don't get in pictures for the whole trajectory. Um, and so that's, it might sort of limit the accuracy uh, of, of that hit FX. But anyway, they're fitting it, um, and they released just one month of that data, but they probably can, they probably have the data for the rest of it. And, um, and then field FX will, will track uh, the ball through its full trajectory and then also throws, as fielders throw the ball, and then also all of the fielders, too. Okay, and then, and then do you have sort of an ETA on when it will uh, only be robots playing baseball? <laughs> We're hoping, I, I think, <laughs> to get that in the next, like, five to ten years. Okay, that's sort of what I was thinking, too. That was just, uh, I just wanted your confirmation. Okay. Well, well, you know, that currently, I think the Yankees already have a robot playing first base. <laughs> Is that right? Mark, Mark Teixeira, he's a Portuguese yeah. robot, I guess. Uh, now, Clausen, let's get to you, because uh, I know that you're itching to talk right now. The reason the reason we started talking about this was with regard to C.J. Wilson. I was wondering if you might uh, maybe revisit that article for us and uh, talk about why, why it would be that C.J. Wilson would create an argument, or not an argument, a discussion about pitch FX uh, to begin with. Well, because he's the Rangers are going to try him as a, star, a starter. I mean, there's now there's a lot of steps in between there. It was uh, when I was working on the article, I you know look I I I feel like I'm a novice to save metrics in general. I don't know anything about pitch FX and pitchers. I don't know if I'm going on a limb here are, t- are harder to analyze with with just numbers, especially moves like this, and especially because they vary more year to year. And I I stay away from pitch FX stuff because. Even more so than in other areas, I have no, I have no idea what to talk about when I talk about it, so I, so I just don't talk about it. Uh, but I know it's useful, um, obviously. And I like so. So when I was working on this stuff, uh, looking, looking at Wilson, I was thinking, I don't think this guy can cut it. You know, just from his numbers, he oh, looks like good receiver. <laughs> no pun intended, as we'll find out. He couldn't uh, yes. cut it. Yes. Oh boy. But Very but then exciting. you know, and, and, and personally, I don't know. Maybe maybe pitch effects is going to show that we shouldn't have been making fun of. But I think it's pretty typical and justified making fun of whatever some guy is going to add a pitch. You know. But, but but I was looking at this just just from his numbers perspective. You know, you just add one to his FIP or his ERA. I mean, that's a crude but a fairly effective method of seeing how you do it. You know, it was like number four. Then I started looking at it. You know, in, in 2009, he started getting a lot more ground balls. Uh, his platoon splits. Which he had had a really big split, had evened out in 2009, and there's this thing about him adding a cutter. Um, and if I looked at his pitch types, there was a which are BIS uh, on Fangraphs. You look at the pitch type and the pitch type values. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody. Those are taken from BIS pitch types, which and, are different. And, and by BIS, you mean uh, baseball, baseball info solutions. Baseball info solutions. The point is being that it did show a kind of change in what he was throwing. It showed him throwing uh, few, some more cutters and, and a lot more sl- and, and, and more sliders. But he definitely changed what he was throwing, and I wondered if that might have contributed to a the increase. He'd always been a big, big ground ball pitcher, but a lot more ground balls, and more importantly, it's, he's a lefty, affecting against right-handed hitters, which is and, and, and so it was having a, a better repertoire in general. I think is I would assume is important to be to move for relief to starter. We have to go through the lineup more than once, and of course, being effective. You can't, you know, when you're a starter, you can't be leverage, you know, you can't leverage your handedness, your platoon issues, like you can somewhat when you're a reliever. So it's important uh, to have a pitch that you can throw against uh, opposite-handed batters. Obviously. Yeah, well, not or even not just have a pitch, but uh, if if the cutter is what's doing it, I don't know for sure. You had to get a more detailed, granular look, like a pitch of X. So uh, Mike, for some reason, accidentally uh, started subscribing to my Twitter feed, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure he regrets now. <laughs> So we got. I think I asked him about it, and he was very generous. I kept heckling him and stalking him and 
sending him bomb threats, and he actually had some uh, interesting insights into what Wilson well, was Well, first of all, I don't like this Mennonite on Mennonite violence. So I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> Secondly, can we hear uh, well, maybe right from the horse's mouth, which isn't to call you a horse, Mike Fast? But uh, what did you tell Clausen when he started uh, when he started harassing you? Well, so he asked me about uh, about Wilson throwing the cutter and whether he threw it more and. I don't remember exactly what he asked me, but I, I started looking uh, at the time. I think when I was uh, emailing with him, I was at work, so I didn't have access to my own PitchFX uh, database. And your work doesn't so just look- let you uh, check out PitchFX databases whenever you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if only. Not, yeah. not yet. <laughs> they will when baseball's played by robots. Oh, yeah. So just five years from now. Yeah. So, uh, so I looked at... Uh, Trip Summers has a, a site online. At his his uh, website is called Texas Leaguers, and he has a PitchFX database there that you can look at online. Um, so I looked at those graphs and said, well, it looks to me like, uh, like in fact, Wilson did throw it, start throwing his cutter quite a bit more in 2009, and that um, even more than the BIS data was showing, that some of what they were still classifying as sliders looked like cutters to me. And, uh, and that uh, on uh, Trip Summer's website, you can also see he has a chart to show you where in the strike zone the pitches ended up. And it looked like most of the cutters uh, were being used on the inside edge to right-handed batters. And so I said, well, you know, this, this reminds me of what Cliff Lee did prior to the 2008 season, where he added a pitch, he added another fastball, so that he had a pitch that he could use on both edges of the plate to right-handers or or to left-handers, obviously, if you can use it on both edges to right-handers, you can use it on both edges to left-handers. But a pitch that's moving off the plate on the inside and moving off the plate on the outside is something that's very effective for for pitchers to keep the hitters from getting good wood on their ball on the ball. Uh, and so the cutter moves off, is moving off the plate on the inside edge to right-handers, and his four-seamer is moving the other way, his four-seamer and his two-seamer. So I thought, hey, that that looks like a promising development for C.J. Wilson, and it might be, it might bode well for him starting. It might explain why he improved as much as he did last year. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of caveats here. I hadn't, you know, I haven't dug way down into the data, but everything uh, from what I saw and what I talked to Matt about looked very promising in terms of his his pitch repertoire changes. So, Mike, is this a situation where where looking at the pitch effects data, for example, we might be able to anticipate? You know, in this case with C.J. Wilson, maybe in the case of another pitcher down the road, uh, not only that a guy will, will not only be able to identify that a guy has added a new pitch, but we might be able to tell how much better this pitcher might be getting based on the amount of movement or placement of a ball. I, I mean, is that the future of pitch FX? Is that the present of pitch FX? I think that's probably the near future of pitch FX. It, we're much better right now at retrospectively figuring out what what somebody changed and how that affected their performance. And I think we're beginning to understand a lot more about what makes, makes pitchers effective in general. Um, but that's that's a very complex subject, and it's something that we're still building on, I think, as an analytical community. Dave Allen, are there any other pitchers that you've come across in the, in the time that you've looked at this, guys that you've identified as throwing a new pitch, maybe doing something different with the pitches that they have and you've seen a difference in their effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, a clear example from last year would be uh, Joel or Joel Pinheiro. Um, you can just say Joel. We, <laughs> we can anglicize it, anything we need to here. <laughs> uh, Joel Pinheiro, who 
started throwing a two-seam fastball much more often. I think it jumped up from, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but so that by by last year he was throwing it like 60% of the time. He's throwing uh, a two-seamer 60% of the time. I, you know, I... No, no, no I but that, that, I mean, that seems like a lot, but it, is that a possibility, though? That's, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, uh, it was very often. I think it was 60% of the time. And he got a much many more ground balls last year than he had before, and then obviously uh, fewer home runs, and uh seemed like he could control it a lot better because um, he, he also just walked very, very few people. So obviously that, that was a big deal. Everyone saw that breakout, and you could it sort of was bore out in the uh, pitch of X data where you saw this new pitch, and it was, it was lower in the zone, and it had uh, less rise. Um, so it actually, I don't, it's a little tricky, but most fastballs rise compared to how you would expect them to, to drop due to gravity, and two-seamers have less rise than four-seamers, so they look like they sink. Um, anyway, these two-seamers that you were throwing had, had less rise, so they appeared like they, they sank and they, they got more uh, ground balls. So that, that's one example. Now, can I, I jump also, in here? Oh, yeah, go ahead, Can I, so, so, can I jump in here? There's just some interesting numbers. Uh, the BIS data uh, that, 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 that uh, sort of, I think, sort of corroborates this. The BIS data, at least as we have it on Fangraphs, doesn't distinguish between two-seam and four-seam fastballs on the player pages. But assuming that the two-seamers were all uh, classified as fastballs, uh, I mean, this bears it out. In 2008, uh, on, on Pinero's uh, player page, he has a, he was, his fastballs, he threw fastballs uh, about 58% of the time. 2009, 71% of the time. Okay, and, and so we could expect that a lot of those were two-seamers. People might call them sinkers as well, right? I mean, this is a, yeah. uh, this is a sinking pitch, usually with with arm side run, does it have some arm side run? Am I correct <laughs> in saying that? I don't know, but what the interesting part is that out of the linear linear weights values, and I realize this is BIS classification, of course. So, uh, the, the, which uh, sorry, the pitch type values in in, in two thousand eight. You know, this is by count, uh, of course, and, and you can read Dave's really helpful introduction to that uh, on our site. Uh, in two thousand eight, his, his fastball was minus twenty. Uh, in, in, in 2009, it was plus 23. That's a four. That's a four win jump in terms of the run expectancy uh, for after each fastball he threw. Just from one pitch, one one pitch well, change. Well, well, his pass balls in general, yeah. Right. Assuming whatever changed with it, you know, that's what the, those guys, these guys can speak to. Uh, Mike, Mike Fast, I also remember a, a big jump from. Uh, in, in, in the listener will hear the clink in uh, Matt Clausen's glass now because the gentleman has decided to drink root beer. Uh, if, if It's a well-known fact that if Matt Clausen goes more than 10 minutes without root beer, he, he falls asleep. Um, so this is actually medical, medically necessary. Is that right, Clausen? Yes, it's, my, it's genetic narcolepsy. Um, <laughs> it's not pot-induced narcolepsy, hopefully. <laughs> you couldn't just say it was my bourbon to make me sound cool? Uh, I don't think anyone would believe that you're cool, Clausen. No, that is a burn, so. FYI. Man, not yet. Now, now I'm getting now. Man, down Carson scored off me. I'm like in the bottom of the Fangraphs <laughs> totem. Why is that? Why am I at the anyway? Let's save that for another pod. That'll be the uh, um, that'll be the the Dutch on the Dutch on Italian uh, beatdown situation. Mike, Fass, I think I have that DVD. Okay, Mike. Mike <laughs> I remember uh, at some point last year, Brian Bannister, who's sort of a sabermetric darling because he knows he he's sort of. Uh, Reflective. He's self-reflective in that way. He switched to a cutter. Um, you can answer to that question if you want, but also just a general. I'm hearing a lot of two seamers, a lot of cutters. 
Um, you mentioned the cutter a whole bunch with uh, with C.J. Wilson. Is that a pitch that is just inherently more effective? And if so, are we going to see pitchers going to it in the future? Uh, I think that the short answer to that is yes. Um, and it seems like the whole Texas Rangers staff is either adding cutters or did last year. Um, and by more effective, it's not more effective by very much. Uh, but if you look at like a four-seam fastball, the, the typical batting average on balls in play against the four-seamer is like it's 300, 304. It's somewhere just over 300. And for the cutter, it's more like 275. So it's 275, 285, somewhere in there. Um, so it, it does have some advantages, but um, it's not a miracle pitch. Yeah, well, and I understand that because, well, actually, you mentioned that the Rangers, uh, I think that Brandon McCarthy, and maybe this is actually the player that I, um, I was trying to think of earlier. Um, this is actually before we stopped recording, so that's of no interest to the listener. But anyway, I'll continue. Um, a pitcher like Brandon McCarthy, who maybe has tried to integrate it into his repertoire before, but it hasn't clicked. Um, is that a thing that we see on an organizational basis? You mentioned the Rangers trying to get their pitchers to throw it. Uh, is that is that a thing that teams try and get? You know, we'll say, hey, this is a pitch that's going to work. You, everyone should learn it. Are we are we to that point yet? Um, well, I know the you know the the Rangers definitely are throwing the cutter a lot, and I think Dave Duncan with the Cardinals preaches the two seamer. So you see, you know, Pinero going there and and having a lot of success with the two seamer. So I think there is some organizational. Uh, you can see some organizational philosophy in terms of the pitch types that we see pitchers throwing, and I think we're you know we're we're still what are we two and a half years almost three years into this whole pitch FX experiment, so we're starting to gather some communal knowledge about what pitchers throw, and uh, I think our understanding of of how coaches and organizations affect that, that is is certainly that's certainly an area which is open for a lot of learning. Well, uh, a lot of learning, hopefully, is what has just occurred on this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. Um, but uh, at the risk of, uh, of um, you know, filling our, our listeners' heads with too much information, I'm going to uh, I'm going to shut it down now. But uh, first of all, let's start with you, Mike Fast. I want to say thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that uh, if we ever get this uh, notion in our heads again, that you'll that you'll be willing to join us. Thank you, thank you, Mike Fast. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Well, great. Uh, Dave Allen, as always, a, a, a charming and polite member of, of the pod. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Carson. Yeah, that's good. And uh, Matt Clausen, you were here, too. You're my enemy. <laughs> You're my enemy. Watch your back. All right. I'll, watch uh, your back, Carson. Uh, I, I will watch it. Uh, well, very good. Uh, th- like I say, this has been another, another edition of Fangraphs Audio. We do, we do in particular, thank, uh, thank Mike Fast for joining us. And, of course, please do listen early and often to Fangraphs Audio. Thank you very much.